Titus chapter 2 in your Bible, and will you stand with me as we read the Word of God this morning, please? Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, anything that is unlike God, and worldly lust or desires, we should live. This is how we are all to be living, ladies and gentlemen. We are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Let me ask you a question before I preach. Are you living like that? Soberly. Serious. Life is serious. It's not goof-off time for 70 years, you know? Soberly. Are you living righteously, doing right according to God's Word, and godly, in a godly manner, in this present, right now, this present world or age, it's sometimes interpreted. Looking for that blessed hope. Now, that's my subject this morning. The blessed hope, referring to the rapture, and the glorious appearing, referring to the second coming of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Note, they're separate events. Most people don't understand that. The rapture is the blessed hope. The second coming is the glorious appearing of Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar or unique people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. He's writing to a young preacher named Titus. He said, you speak these things, Titus. Exhort the people. Rebuke them when it's necessary and do it authoritatively. Don't do it kidding around. Do it and let no man despise thee as the pastor of their flock. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, I've pointed out to you two, te- two terms here that are extremely important. The terms are the blessed hope, referring to the rapture, and the glorious appearing, referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, many people today are untaught in the Word of God, and many te- Many people today confuse those two terms. They think that they're the same thing. In conversation with people sometimes, I pick up on the fact that they are intermingling or confusing those terms. The rapture, the blessed hope, one event, and the glorious appearing, that's the coming, the second coming of Christ, and that is a separate event. The English word rapture does not appear in your Bible. In an English Bible, you will not find that word rapture. However, it was taken from a Greek word. you, You know that your New Testament was translated from the Greek language. The word was harpezio. And turn back with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Thessalonians, just a couple of books backward in your Bible. And here's where the word rapture occurs in the Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse number 
17, you read these words. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Caught up. That Greek word there is harpezo. Harpezo, which has the idea of seizing something. I'm going to rapture that plant right there. And all it means is I grab it and I pick, wow. (laughs) I grab it and I pick it up. I seize it. I snatch it from where it was. It it involves the idea of lifting something up. And boy, that really looks good, but that's as cheap as it can be right there. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I thought I was lifting up a a pottery, piece of pottery, and it was a piece of cheap plastic. Wham, I about broke it. (laughs) That was not in my notes. That was not rehearsed, I promise you. Okay, so anyhow, I just raptured that. I just seized that. I, I snatched it from where it had been. A woman lays her purse down at a ball game, and she turns around. This purse is gone. Somebody raptured the purse. They snatched it away, and they seized it, and she was not even able to see it. That's the word, harpazo. It cut, then later, the Bible was translated first into Latin, and in the Latin, it was called rapier or repo. And rapio, and that, from that we get our word rapture. The English word came from the Latin word. Now, I don't want to bore you with a word study, but I want you to understand people say the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, the word future is not in the Bible, and 25% of the Bible is about the future. So because the English word doesn't appear, it doesn't mean that the thing doesn't exist. The word trinity, by the way, is not in the Bible. But we certainly believe in the Trinity, don't we? And the word rapture is not in the Bible, but it's to be caught up. It's to be seized. It's to be snatched away suddenly. The the word has the idea of suddenness about it, that nobody was anticipating it, and it just happened real quickly. So in the Scripture here that I've read to you, the text in Titus The first stage is the rapture. It's the blessed hope. And where do you find the rapture described in the Bible? Right here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Here it is. Verse 16. The Lord shall first descend from heaven with a shout. That's the first thing that happens. And then the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God sounds. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the blessed hope. You see it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and in verses 50 through 54. I don't have the time to read all of those, but you may want to mark that. Just write that reference right there beside 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, that a a parallel reference to the rapture is 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54. Now, what about the glorious appearing? The glorious appearing, where do you find that? Go with me to the book of Matthew, and if you'll turn back to chapter 24, you will, I'm going to show you why these are different events in a moment here. And in this Matthew 24 and in 29... Immediately after the tribulation of those days, there's a time, there's a date set here. The sun will be darkened, the moon shall be not give her light, the stars will fall out of the heavens, the powers of your heavens shall be shaken. And then after these things happen, 
shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, it says. In Luke chapter 21 and verse number 27, you can read almost the same thing. Luke 21 and 27, and then shall they see, notice you can see this one, you see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And in Revelation chapter 1 and in verse number 7, it says that every eye shall see him, that the whole world will be able to see this, not some local uh, area of the country, some regional visualization. Every single eye shall see him according to Revelation 1 and 7. Now, there are other, the, the, often the problem we have regarding the rapture, often I guess I should say, rapture passages are spiritualized or they're mingled together with the passages about the Lord's return. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, I think it is, the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. And then it says, he rightly divides, you remember that phrase, the word of truth. He rightly divides the word of truth. That's the scripture. The problem we have is that study is sort of out of favor in people's minds today. And people don't want to study. They don't want to sit down and get quiet and do the the hard work of rolling up your sleeves and intellectually challenging yourself and studying every single word in context in the Scripture. And when they don't, they confuse these rapture passages. They mingle them together. And so the rapture has been ignored in our time. I told someone this week, I'm speaking on the rapture. They said, oh, my soul, I haven't heard about that. I don't know how many years it's been. I said, well, you come to our church, you'll hear about it. We believe in in teaching on the rapture, but it's often ignored. Often speculators start speculating about it. It has frankly been abused and ruined in, in the minds of people. People have become cynics because People have set dates, though the Bible says specifically, no man knows the day or the hour. If anybody tells you they know the time of the rapture, I'm going to tell you, you're talking to a false prophet. You're talking to somebody who is violating clearly what Jesus said over and over. No man knoweth the day or the hour of the rapture. And so don't speculate about it. Don't ignore it. Don't set dates. We don't know when it will happen. It's even been fictionalized. There's been movies and books written about it to the point that people are very confused. They can't separate the the truth of God's Word from the fictional accounts that are interwoven with it. So uh, there are two definite stages that we can anticipate in the coming of Jesus Christ. They're seven years apart. And the first one is the rapture when the Lord comes for his saints, the for is important. And then there's the second coming when the Lord comes with his saints. 
and they are apart, and they're separate events. Now, what happens in the rapture then? What happens in the rapture? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16 is about the clearest verse in the whole Bible on that. The Lord Jesus Christ, he descends to the earth in the atmosphere above the earth, I, I should technically say. His feet don't even touch the ground in the rapture. He descends into the atmosphere of the earth. And second then, the Bible says he will come with a shout. And then there will be the voice of an archangel. We don't know what that sounds like, but it's going to be a great voice. It'll be heard, I believe, worldwide. It will reverberate through the whole universe, this shout of the archangel. It will get people's attention who are saved. And then there'll be a sound of a trumpet. It's the trumpet of God. Trumpets were blown all the way through the Old Testament Scripture to call the nation together. And on this day, in this occasion, the heavenly trumpet will sound again, announcing the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment, all true Christians, I emphasize true Christians, every true Christian on the earth will be caught up, just like I snatched up the little flower there. They'll be caught up in the air, as the Bible says right here in verse number 17. Preceding us, the dead will rise. The dead will rise first. They will rise first because they have further to go. The only explanation I can give for that, about four or five feet. And uh, then we will immediately follow them into the Father's house. The live, those of us who were alive on the earth at that time will follow. I emphasize again that only the truly saved people will be raptured. Every church member will not be raptured. I would like to think that every member of the Florence Baptist Temple would go up. I can only hope that. Because the wheat and the chaff will surely be separated in that instant of time. It doesn't say that the good people will be caught up and the bad people will be left. In fact, there will be one criterion for whether or not you're caught up. It'll be, does the Holy Spirit live within you? That's the only thing that'll count. It won't even matter what kind of Christian you were. Some five-star Christians and some four-star and three-star, two-star and one-star Christians, but the people that will be caught up will not be graded in their being caught away according to their works. They will be caught up for one reason. They have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Every social class, every racial group, ethnic group, I don't even like the racial thing. The Bible teaches ethnics. It, every type of person, rich and poor, they'll all be caught up if they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's the criterion. Do you know today that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you? Because that's who he will come for. Like the magnet attracts the metal and every other element lays upon the ground. In the same way, every Christian 
will be attracted and caught up to be with the Lord. And every non-believer, every person who has not been born of the Spirit will not be attracted. So we'll be then taken to the Father's house. Taken to the Father's house. Where do I get that? Write down John 14, 1 through 3, one of your most familiar passages of all. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and wh- that where I am, you may be also. And then he says, I will come again, and I will take you to my Father's house, John 14 and 3. Where will we go? What's the destination of those in the rapture? It's the Father's house, John chapter 14 Verse 3, I will come again and take you. That's the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what will happen? Well, first of all, we will be glorified. We use that term. It's a theological term. It means to be physically transformed, to be changed. The, The very nature of a thing is changed. We will be transformed. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, and 54 says, in a moment, in the twinkling of, eye, we, of an eye, we will be changed, and we will be changed into his likeness, it says in other places. The sin nature that has plagued me all of my days, it'll be eradicated in one instant. I will no longer have that sin nature. I will have it until that day, but I will not have it after that moment. My sin nature will be eradicated. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the body being corruptible, referring to its sin nature. And then I will no longer be corruptible after that. We will experience perfection. Perfection of the body, perfection of the spirit, perfection of the soul. We'll be absolutely perfect people. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21 says that he will transform our vile body to be like his own. Vile there doesn't mean dirty and filthy and bad and corrupt. It, ha- it has the idea of low standing, humiliation. In other words, right now, since sin came, we're living down here, and this is where we will be when the rapture occurs. He'll change us. He'll transform us into completely new and different beings from that which we are now. In 1 John 3 and 2, the Bible says, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. How was he? How, what does that mean, we shall be like him? Well, you remember after Jesus was resurrected, his body was glorified. And what was he like? Gravity had no power on him. He materialized and went through a wall and didn't even open the door. Time had no claim upon him because he said, I go to my father, and the next day he was back. He'd been to heaven, and then he'd come back. So there will be no constraints upon us of gravity or time or space or a sinful nature. All of that will be new and different for us. And it'll be universal. The rapture will be universal. There'll be people raptured at the same moment in different places across the world, in China or Russia or Latin America or in Florence, South Carolina or in Canada, anywhere there is a believer who has been born of the Spirit of God and washed in the blood of Christ, 
They will be raptured. The Bible talks about one will be in the bed sleeping. Another on the other side of the world will be in the field working. But they will all be caught up when the Lord Jesus Christ descends in the air for his people. His feet never touch the ground. That's the interesting thing in the rapture. He doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the air. And we are caught up to meet him. So he doesn't put his foot down on the earth as he does in the second coming. You see, that's one of those distinctions. In fact, I have a little chart here that I made up for you. And I would like to just compare the rapture, the blessed hope, with the glorious appearing, the second coming. Look at it with me, and let's look at the differences. In the rapture, Christ comes in the air for his own. In the second coming, he comes with his own to the earth. In the rapture, all true Christians are taken away. In the second coming, no one is caught up. Nobody's taken. We are, he comes and meets his saints here on the earth. In the rapture, we are taken to the Father's house. In the Lord's return, the second coming, the resurrected saints don't even see the Father's house. They continue to live on the earth as he sets up his kingdom. In the rapture, there will be no judgment on the earth. But in the glorious appearing in the second coming, described in Revelation chapter 20, Christ will judge the inhabitants of the earth. He will be the judge. In the rapture, the church will be taken to heaven, all saved. In the second coming, Christ doesn't take anybody to heaven. He comes to the earth and he sets up his earthly kingdom. What a difference. In the rapture, it's imminent. That's a word we use here. Let me define it for those who might not have heard it. Imminent means at any moment. At any moment. When could the rapture occur? Right now, before you and I walk out of this building, the rapture could occur at any moment. We know when the second coming will come. Uh, The second coming will be after the tribulation period of seven years. So we know when it's going to occur. I read to you Matthew 24. It says immediately after the tribulation. And then it describes the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the second coming is at least seven years away. I know the second coming is not going to occur today. But the rapture could occur before I finish this message, you see. There are no signs of the rapture. Not a single sign. Don't look for a prophecy to be fulfilled before the rapture occurs. There are no signs. All the signs point to the second coming. Now, however, we know that after the rapture occurs, the second coming will occur about seven years later, give or take a little bit. We can't be precise. So the signs that you and I are seeing today, all of those signs deal with the second coming of Christ. None of those signs deal with the rapture. There are no rapture signs. Let me make that clear. The blessed hope, the rapture, is for believers only where the second coming affects all of mankind. Every human being will be impacted by the second coming. The rapture will be a great time of joy, wonderful, wonderful joy like there's never been. But the second coming, when they see him, they shall mourn, so it says. The rapture will occur before the day of wrath. 
The day of wrath is a description the Bible uses of the tribulation period. The second coming will occur just after the tribulation. There's no mention of Satan in any of the passages that deal with the rapture. But in the second coming, one of the first things the Lord will do is he will bind Satan and put him in the pit for at least a thousand years. At the rapture, immediately after the rapture, in heaven, believers will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we will receive our rewards. But there's no time or place for a judgment seat at the second coming. That's already, the rewards have already been given to God's people at that point. The marriage of the Lamb occurs in heaven after the rapture and the time of reward, the judgment seat. But in the second coming, the bride of Christ descends with him and comes back to the earth. In the rapture, only his own, only saved people will see him. Life will go on for the rest of the world. In the glorious appearing, every eye shall see him. You see the contrast? There are two completely different accounts. If you'll sit down and study the Scriptures and study to show yourself approved unto God. Number 15, when the rapture occurs, the tribulation begins. Immediately, we can't say that, but very soon thereafter, immediately things start happening. And the thing that will kick off the, the tribulation will be that the Antichrist will rise and he will sign a covenant of some kind or renew a covenant with the nation of Israel. And that will be, that's the beginning, the first event of the tribulation period. When Christ comes in his return, the thousand-year reign, the kingdom is set up, and he will rule and reign on the earth for 1,000 years. So uh, that's, it's kind of a teaching thing. It's a little bit... Uh, too much teaching that I like to do on Sunday morning, but I see so much confusion that people have that they, they, they merge together in their minds. Well, the second coming, the rapture, what's the difference? You know, I want you to clearly understand that the rapture is for the believer only, that the rapture can occur without any other sign. There's no, nothing to be fulfilled for the rapture to occur. It can happen as we sit here at this moment. Now, what is the purpose of the rapture? In 1 Thessalonians, again, I want you to read with me chapter 1. Just go back to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians and verse 10. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us. Note this phrase. He delivered us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come in your Bible means the tribulation period. That's the term God uses, the wrath which will come one day. The tribulation period. So the rapture is designed to deliver God's people from the coming tribulation period. Go over to chapter 5 now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Again, that wrath term there means the tribulation period. If you're a believer, God has not appointed you to go through the tribulation period. Now, 
That's one of the things people don't like about rapture theology, if you will. They'll say, well, you're just escapist. You just want to get out of here. You don't you, you, you folks, y'all are, the tribulation is going to come and you're not going to be prepared and, and you're not going to be able to endure it. We're not supposed to endure it. We are going to be saved from the wrath to come, according to the Bible. If you want to go through the tribulation, you just have at it. But the Bible doesn't say that we're going through it. In fact, all the way through the Bible, the types of God's people, you know, they're delivered. Noah didn't go through the flood. He floated on top of the flood, did he not? And uh, uh, Daniel and the Hebrew children didn't go into the fire. They were delivered from the fire. All the way through the Bible, you have these types, these pictures, these metaphors that they show us that it is not always God's will for God's people to go through some terrible happening. And we are raptured to keep us from going through the tribulation period. Now, I've, I had someone ask me this question. This is probably a good question. It took me a little while to think it through. They said, if God is going to pour out his wrath on sinners, on sinful humanity, on people who are living unrighteously, and if we as Christians are still, we still do sinful things after we're saved, why is it that God would only deliver Christian? Why would, why would he only deliver the Christians? After all, if we have sin in our life, why would he take us out when there are other people that have sin in their lives? And what that showed me when I began to think about it is this person did not understand. They didn't have a, a good comprehension at all of what salvation is because they thought that you should be raptured if you lived a good life, quote, but if you weren't living a good enough life, then depending on who is judging that, you would, you, would be, you would remain here. You see, hear me and hear me well, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody deserves God's salvation. The rapture is another evidence, another token of God's grace to us. I don't deserve to go to heaven and you don't deserve to go to heaven. Nobody in that rapture will deserve to go to heaven. We will go because of God's wonderful love to us and his grace to us that was poured out for our sins at the cross that we sung about a while ago, that when he was on the cross, we were on his mind. And he died for our sins, and it is not your goodness that will qualify you to go up in the rapture. It is the grace of God that will qualify you to go up in the rapture. If you've repented of your sins and you've received Jesus Christ, the Bible says very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, God declares us to be righteous based upon the works of his Son. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is, there, there is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not under God's condemnation. When I sin, my sins have been paid for. I am to repent of my sins. I'm to confess of my, my sins. I'm to turn from my sins. But I don't have to live a perfect life to be able to qualify for the rapture. Those who face, or those rather who reject Jesus Christ, 
They will, though, be under the condemnation of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're not genuinely a born-again Christian, I'm not talking about you a Baptist temple member. I'm not talking about if you made a profession of faith, have you prayed the prayer? I'm not talking about that. Have you genuinely experienced redemption? Have you had your heart renewed? Have you been washed in the blood? Are you born again? Does the Holy Spirit live in your life? Is there a change in your life? If there's not, some empty profession of faith, some nominal practice of Christianity is not going to qualify you on that day to be caught up. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would beg you when I give the invitation, don't let your pride keep you in that seat. You come on down here and receive Jesus this morning. You come right now. Don't you gamble with your soul? As I've already told you, when is the rapture? The rapture is imminent. It's at any moment. There are no prophecies that yet need to be fulfilled for the rapture. There are no signs of the rapture. There are no warnings of the rapture. They're not going to come on television and say something is happening. It's going to already have happened. It'll be instantaneous. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, the words of the Lord himself. Watch, therefore, watch, for no man knoweth the day or the hour. And what will be the effect of the rapture? Well, you've seen those movies and read those books, and so much of that is speculation. I, I don't, I'm, I'm reluctant to even speculate because I don't know that I can do it accurately. I do know, though, this. I know that when millions of people, and there will be millions and millions, when they're caught up and they disappear from the earth, it will no doubt be the greatest dislocation of society that's ever happened in all of history. I remember what happened in this country when 9-11 occurred, and only 3,000 people died it, it didn't affect 98% of the population of the country, and yet the country shut down. Norman and I were sitting in the home of a missionary down in Brazil, and the daughter, who is a college student, came running in and ran into the house where she had been to class, at an early class, and she said, something terrible is happening in New York. A plane is flown into the World Trade Center, and her dad flipped on the television, and through the miracles of technology today, he was on CNN in Brazil. And we sat, and we talked about how horrible. I thought it was a passenger jet. And not more than five minutes after we started watching it, the second plane flew into the World Trade Center, and then we knew it was planned, and it was a terrorist act. And we called the airport. Before we could even get the call complete, they'd shut down all the airports. And they told us it will be several days before you can come back because the United States has sealed its borders. There'll be nobody going across the border, flying in, driving in, or anything else. We're going to find out what's happening here before 
anybody else enters the country. And I remember flying into Atlanta two or three days later, and we were the first flight they told us into Atlanta from Brazil. And that big airport that always has tens of thousands of people, like an anthill, was nobody there. Nobody in the airport. The place was virtually shut down. It was a ghost town. And then you saw what happened. Businesses affected. Media affected. Entertainment affected. The ball games were canceled. And it was over one event in New York. I'm not minimizing the event, but I'm just telling you the impact of something like that. Now, let's just extrapolate this forward in our minds. Millions, millions are missing. Society will shut down. McLeod Hospital won't be able to operate. There's enough born-again people up there. The school systems will shut down. Businesses will close. You don't want to work in a place where nobody is going to be unaffected in the rapture. <laughs> would God that all the churches would be emptied? But I don't know if they will. It will be the greatest dislocation of the society that will ever have happened in all of history. Well, you're looking like you're thinking right now, and that's exactly what I would like to think you're doing. A little girl, I know the family, the father told me, he said, I announced one day I was going to preach on the rapture tonight. And my little girl told her little friend, be prepared to be scared. <laughs> Daddy's going to preach on the rapture. Be prepared to be scared tonight. Let me tell you, she was wrong. For us, it's called the blessed hope. What does blessed mean? It means happy. It means the greatest source of joy and anticipation, anticipation that you and I can have as Christians. Oh, joy, oh, delight. The hymn writer wrote, should we go without dying? No sickness, no sadness, no sorrow, no crying. Caught up in the clouds with our Lord into glory when Jesus receives his own the rapture, the catching up of all the redeemed of all the ages, the blessed hope, the happy hope for God's people today. Bow your head with me if you will, please.